Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you're giving yourself the gift of self-love. Now, if you don't know what the gift of self-love is, it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's now available in stores and online worldwide. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to say that because I've been working on this book for years. I poured my heart and soul into it, compiling everything that I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing my life story and everything that's helped me on this self-love journey, including body acceptance. And it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So every single thing that I share, you can put into practice right away. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. I'm holding it right here. It's right in front of me and it's absolutely gorgeous. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but we've nailed the design on this one. It makes such a wonderful gift both for yourself and for your loved ones. Perhaps you have a friend that could really use this message and that, you know, needs a little push, loving push in the right direction. And I think that this book is just a great gift. Hence, the gift of self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to a very special episode on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. If you don't know, this month, February, when I'm releasing this episode, is my birthday month. So I was thinking about what to do in honor of my birthday that would be not super vain and narcissistic and birthday-centered, but also acknowledge this day when I was born. And it hit me that we've never talked about astrology on this podcast. And one of my dear friends and two-time retreat sister, Bliss, recently gave me an in-depth astrology reading during our last retreat in Costa Rica, and I just gained so much insight into myself and who I am as a person and also these big turning points in my life, including specific dates to look out for and what's going on in my life as I'm in my mid-20s and all of those themes that I just really, really resonated with. Bliss has this incredible intuition where not only does she look at your chart and the stars and planets and what all the signs mean, but she also has this way about her where everything just makes sense and she is the vessel to that. And so one theme that you'll hear in this podcast episode is that sometimes words are just not enough to describe an experience. And when Bliss said that, I just felt that in my soul. And it's exactly how I feel about her as a person. 
I am beyond excited for you to hear this conversation with Bliss Moon, who is an astrologer, a lover, a mother, a dreamer. She is also queer and a widow, and she so vulnerably speaks in this podcast episode about that relationship that she has to grief. And sorry, this is where (laughs) words are just not enough because I'm really stumbling and nothing is doing this human justice. You just have to hear this conversation for yourself. We touch on big philosophical things like grief and these big emotions and experiencing loss and how that is just the flip side of the same coin of love and how we have to feel that full range. Bliss has also been a barista for a really long time and She talks about coffee shop culture and how she got started in this astrology journey and also things that are probably very relevant to you, like the difference between your sun, moon, and your rising sign, which one could be more telling of your personality. And she also gives examples, a deep dive into my chart and what's going on in my life personally. And also what Aquarius season means for us as a collective. So in case you don't know, we're in Aquarius season right now. There's a lot going on in Aquarius. So we're in like a super duper quadruple (laughs) Aquarius season. And Bliss goes into all of that and the significance behind it. So I really, really hope that you stick around for this entire conversation. It will be so, so worth it. Like, please, I'm... I'm sounding desperate because I'm truly begging you to listen to the whole thing because it's incredibly profound and one of my favorite conversations I've had on this podcast. And if you feel as connected to Bliss as I do, I invite you to book an astrology reading with her. She does 40-minute sessions, and in those 40-minute sessions, she will print out your chart. She will tell you everything and give you this foundation to where you can learn astrology on your own and learn to look at your own chart and your own horoscope and see the significance behind events and times in your life. So if you want to book that session, the link to book that astrology reading with Bliss is in the show notes, and she is so generous to give self-lovers 33% off with code GIFT OF SELFLOVE. I put that all in the show notes, but in case you want to head over and follow her on Instagram at Bliss Moon, click the link in her bio, book a session with her for an astrology reading, and use code GIFT OF SELFLOVE to get a little discount. So without further ado... Please enjoy this lovely and insightful conversation with Bliss. Hi, Bliss. Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm so thrilled that you're here. You have no idea. Mary, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel incredibly connected to you as a human. So you've been to two retreats in Costa Rica. We've obviously spent very intimate time together. Yes. And I don't know if I told you this, but very, very rarely do I go to somebody's Instagram when they apply for a retreat. But of course, I couldn't help but go to yours because I saw your name and then I saw your Instagram handle, Bliss Moon, and I read your story and I just, I felt compelled, like I couldn't stop myself. So I feel like this relationship has been building, at least for me, like even before we met. Yes, I completely agree. And I'm flattered you and took the time to look at my Instagram, but I'm so glad that I came to Costa Rica. I'm actually drinking Costa Rican coffee this morning in honor of you and Imaloa. So, yay, I just had some of that too. Oh, the coffee there is just something else. It's divine. <laughs> yeah. So, I wanted to start in an unlikely place because I had just looked through your Instagram stories 
And you shared something that I feel like is so telling of you as a person. And I want to bring it up before we dive into our conversation about astrology, because I feel like it would be a great segue. Speaking of coffee, you have been a barista for a huge chunk of your life. And this morning you posted that working in coffee shops, I think you said around college towns or like in the city in Portland. Yep has also given you an insight into philosophy? Yes. Yeah. So when I was college age, I basically just moved out of my small hometown. I had worked in a small coffee shop there and I just took those skills and ran with them to Portland. And (laughs) I worked near Reed College here in Southeast, as well as by Lewis and Clark College. And so a lot of my friend circles, people I got close to, coworkers, regulars, were college students and in liberal arts colleges. And I've always had a heart for philosophy. And so I felt like I was studying with them, you know, they bounce ideas off of me. So I've always felt like a student of philosophy and I kind of got the benefit of, I guess, like secondhand, secondhand philosophy student through friendships and regulars. Oh, I love that. You vicariously learned some stuff as like serving their coffee. I thought you meant it more in a way of like, being there for somebody in the morning, like you see them before they get their coffee and you spend time with them likely after they get their coffee, right? If they're like hanging out at the cafe. And I feel like that is such an intimate experience that it gives you insight into like the human condition, not to be super dramatic, but. (laughs) Oh no, it really does. And it's also, I mean, in the way that like, I feel like bartenders are kind of therapists, like baristas kind of feel like that too. You know, you're the person you talk to before you want to talk to anybody. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love that. I love community and that kind of like the living room, the public living room that a coffee shop feels like. It's that welcoming, come and visit and share ideas. And like historically, cafes have been places where revolutions and new ideas started. So yes, that is very true. I'm going to ask you the hardest question in the world. What is your favorite coffee shop? Oh my gosh, this is a real hard question. So it depends on (laughs) if we're talking multi-roaster coffee bar or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or roasting company. I think my favorite roasting company, at least on the West Coast, is Olympia Coffee Roasting. I lived in Olympia pretty briefly, but their coffee is just phenomenal. They have what they call the sweetheart roast, which is like a unique roasting process they do. And it is just chef's kiss. Like whenever I have an opportunity to get Olympia coffee, I get it. <laughs> and then my favorite multi-roaster bar, which is essentially like a coffee bar that isn't married to one roasting company and is able to kind of showcase the best. I really love this shop called Narrative in Everett, so north of Seattle. It's just really the lighting in there is really beautiful and the people are so kind and so excited to talk coffee with you. And every time I go there, I mean, I don't live there, but I pass through. They they remember me, (laughs) which is just bizarre to me. I'm like, you guys like know your people and they remember that like, oh, you're Bliss from Fairbanks and you worked at this other multi-roaster bar. Anyway. (laughs) I mean, you are incredibly memorable, so that doesn't surprise me, but that is also (laughs) says a lot about them. So that place is in Everett in like north of Seattle. What is it called? Because I want to link this in the show notes. Narrative Coffee. Narrative coffee. Cool. Yeah, like that narrative conversation around coffee. Oh, I love that. On that note, since there's this piece of you that's very interested in people and communities and essentially what defines us, I'm assuming that that interest has been around for a really long time. So I'm really curious to know like when that started for you, whether it was like astrology or otherwise. And then also when you allowed yourself to 
fully propel into that arena of astrology as like a, a medium to greater insight to oneself? Wow. Okay. That is a big question. I think that I've always been concerned with community. I come from a big family, a big Catholic family in Alaska. I've got seven siblings. Um, so I grew up going to church. I'm not religious in that sense anymore. But what I did learn from church is that like I had aunties that weren't biologically my aunties and that like I could rely on other people in the community besides my parents. And that was huge for me. And as far as astrology goes, my paternal grandmother my dad's from Seattle, so she lived in Seattle, and I didn't see her often, but we would come down and visit about every two years or so. And she was always an astrologer and practiced tarot. I got a taste of those things when I was young from her, but in a very broad sense of like, I knew the, the broad stroke definitions of like, you know, what an Aquarius is or what an Aries is. And I knew the, the different elements, but I didn't really have a full grasp of what like a full chart was. I knew my grandma did, but I didn't really understand it because I didn't take time to study when I was young, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I like to tell people this story. My grandma could draw up charts before the internet could do it for you. So like she had all of the tools and the the books to draw up a full chart, which just blows my mind because we have the technology now to make it easy. The amount of like time and math and dedication that takes is mind boggling to me. But she did my parents' composite chart before they got married, which is just like taking two people's birth charts and overlaying them and finding the medians kind of. Mm -hmm. And talked about all of the positive aspects and all of the good things in their relationship. And then at the very end of this reading she did for my parents, she looks at my dad and she says, don't ever piss her off. <laughs> like, this is all great. <laughs> don't ever piss her off. And he did. <laughs> so they're now divorced. But I like to say that my grandma called that <laughs> really early on with astrology. So, yeah. When I moved down here to be with my late husband, Chris, before he passed away, I'm a widow, so I, my followers all know that, but I moved down here to Oregon, and that was in the years right before my grandma got sick and passed, and so I was able to go and visit her a lot more often and spend time really like sitting by her bedside and picking her brain, and her last weekend alive, she sat down with me and all of my female cousins. I guess the guys just weren't interested for whatever reason. Sometimes I think that the witchy gene skips them, but <laughs> we all sat down and looked at her tarot cards with her and really like dug deep. And I found out that my favorite tarot card is the same as her favorite tarot card. <laughs> and that was really exciting for me because I just had no idea. It was just one that I had a strong connection to. And it turns out it was her favorite. But the long and short of it is I lost her in late 2018 when I was pregnant with my youngest child. And then I lost my partner and my husband in early 2020, about a month before the pandemic started. So needless to say, that was a really hard time in my life. But I find that many people, when they lose someone, they might have like a little bit of faith or they might have grown up with one faith or another. But when you lose someone really close, there's often a call to return to faith. You want to believe in something because everything feels so hopeless. And for me, that return to faith was really turning back to the stars and really digging in with astrology in a way that I hadn't before. So I've casually studied astrology since I was probably 16 or 17. I've pulled up charts for friends. I've done casual readings for friends throughout the years. I find it fascinating and exciting, but it really brought me a lot of comfort 
in a dark time in my life. And especially I started really studying the phases of the moon and paying attention to where the moon was currently, like what sign the moon is in each day. And that brought me a lot of just comfort. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just like, you know, there's so much out of our control, but there's these rhythms and these patterns that are constant. And I wouldn't say that the stars fate us, like everything is fated, but they do guide us and they make an impression on us. And that helped me just immensely. I can't even begin to describe, but it was my return to faith to return to my astrology practice in early 2020. So. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that, especially the the grief and loss that led to it. I just feel incredibly honored that you opened up about that because I know it's not easy to talk about. Yeah, it isn't easy to talk about, but it is such an important part of my story. I don't think that I would have connected with it on this deeper level if it wasn't for all of that loss in a very short time. So, Yeah. Grandmother relationships are so special. They're so powerful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like there's this connection. I mean, I'm thinking about my grandma and where I feel connected to her. And honestly, my grandma just always encouraged me to clean and keep my place clean. (laughs) And till this day, when I clean the house, like I think of her and how she would do it and how swift she was and how she had these little tricks up her sleeve with cleaning. (laughs) And I truly love cleaning. Whereas my sister didn't really grow up with her as such a big influence in her life because we have like a big age gap and Mm -hmm. moved to a different state and she hates cleaning. (laughs) Like nobody taught her (laughs) how to clean. So it's just like, I really see that big influence. And also to your note about like the return to faith. I feel that so deeply, although I didn't experience it in a like full-blown loss. But I do remember when one of my boyfriends was in a coma and I have always identified as an atheist. And especially at this point in my life, this was like four or five years ago, I was like very rejecting of any kind of spirituality and religion because I just have weird associations with it with my dad. But when he was in a coma, I found myself in that hospital church. (laughs) You know, that was the first place that I went all by myself, just sitting in that temple or what do they call it? That place of worship that generally every hospital has. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you mean because any faith can go and sit there and be with their higher power. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what to do (laughs) or what to say but it was definitely a place that I felt called to. Yeah, there are times that we need to turn to something bigger than ourselves because there is so much that is out of our control <laughs> and it gives us a sense of like stability to have something to have faith in. I think faith is really important. And I also relate to identifying as an atheist. I think I had a, a pretty good chunk of my early 20s after leaving the Catholic Church, which I, I'm by. And when I came out to my family, it was very much like, oh, the, the church doesn't accept that, you know? <laughs> So after abandoning Christianity as a whole, I felt very much like logically I'm an atheist. But as I grew and grew into philosophy, I realized that there's still so much more connecting tissue, divineness in this world that is worth acknowledging, even if you don't attribute it to a deity. So Great. It's like that journey of like, first you get really, really against something and it's still kind of perpetuating that. But once you make peace with it, you kind of find yourself somewhere in the middle or maybe some evolved version of it that feels a little bit more aligned as opposed to like this resistant energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think in it's in Buddhism that's called the middle way. And I love that. <laughs> you also have a history of 
Buddhism, right? You did a Vipassana, two Vipassana silent retreats? I did two Vipassana retreats in my mid-20s. So I said I was like a student of philosophy and I was at a point in my life where, I mean, I'm a talker, you know this. I felt like I could just talk philosophy into the ground and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere with it. And I was so frustrated that words weren't serving me to the depth that I wanted them to. (laughs) And I knew that I wanted to take a vow of silence, but I didn't know how. I actually tried to take a vow of silence in my like regular daily life where I would only talk at work and only for like work reasons. And it just didn't work. Like I lived in a social house. It was not conducive to actually experiencing a vow of silence, but I knew I didn't want to talk as much. Like I knew that talking wasn't serving me. And so actually an old roommate of mine told me about the Vipassana retreats and I thought, what a perfect opportunity. So I just like up and quit my job at the time and signed up for a 10 day vow of silence and went off and shaved my head, which wasn't required, but it was very much this like dramatic quarter life crisis. I'm just like, give away my worldly belongings and go be a monk (laughs) was kind of the, the philosophy. And it was really powerful. I think that when you really sit with yourself and you sit with your emotions and you let your thoughts pass without becoming attached to them, like stuff comes up, stuff that you've buried, stuff comes up literally physically in the body that you maybe didn't know about. I think meditation, regardless of what type of meditation practice people subscribe to, is a very useful and powerful tool to getting to know yourself and to heal your inner wounds. So it was a big turning point. (laughs) How old were you then? I was, I think about 25, 24, 25, right in there. Okay. So it was not your Saturn return. We'll get into this. It was not. Yeah. (laughs) It was not my Saturn return. I feel on a visceral level about how sometimes words aren't enough. And I just love that you went that direction. So what have you found when you take a look at your chart, specifically during perhaps that turning point in your life where you call it a quarter life crisis, which I love. (laughs) I feel like I'm always perpetually in the middle of one. (laughs) Mid-20s will do that too. And also the year 2018 and 2020 when you experienced so much loss in such a short amount of time. Yes. So interestingly enough, both of those times when I discovered meditation, I mean, I always knew it was a thing, but when I discovered I needed it, was around my second Jupiter return, which you're in right now. We talked about this. The Jupiter return happens every about 12 to 13 years. And unlike the Saturn return, which is associated with a lot of like structural upheaval, big changes, Jupiter has a lot to do with expansion (laughs) and luck and just really expanding yourself. Sometimes it can literally mean physical expansion like pregnancy. But in this case, it was definitely like my spiritual expansion and spiritual awakening aligned with that second Jupiter return. The first Jupiter return is when you're a child. I was 12. I don't remember much about that. And then again, the 2020, 2018, that was when I don't think my grandma's passing was Jupiter return, but I believe that Chris's passing lines up pretty closely with my Jupiter return, which is really just bizarre because it's such a heavy loss. Yeah. So it's just interesting when I look at the timing of those things that they lined up with an expansive thing in my chart. And I think Jupiter is associated again with lots of luck. And I would not say that I was lucky to lose my partner like that. Of course not. Like that's nobody wants that. But I did feel really held in that time, held in community, supported by family, by friends. And I was able to really just take time off work and be with my kids and sit with myself and with my grief in a way that not everyone is able to, I guess. Not everyone has the resources to stay home with their kids after losing somebody, for example. So I I do think I was lucky in that way and that I was supported and held during that time. Yeah. I was telling 
Stan today, as I was talking to him about this conversation we were about to have, how I just, first of all, I start crying whenever I talk about you. Just, you have such a special place in my heart. I can't even put it in words without being sappy or soppy. I'm not sure which one it is. Is it soppy or sappy? I think it's sappy. I think it's sappy, but you know, (laughs) sloppy, sappy, whatever, (laughs) all of it. (laughs) I also like my hands start shaking and it's just really hard. Like words are not enough. That, (laughs) that's the theme of this episode. Words are not enough, especially when it comes to describing the way that you speak about grief in such a, this is not the best word, but the only word I have right now, like almost graceful and intuitive and vulnerable and authentic way. Like how it's just like you texted me, like how it's a big part of you. It's not like a defining thing, but it's a big part of your heart and that courage to still wear your heart on your sleeve and let people in and all of that. Like, like how, what. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, it's just, I think that when people experience loss like I have, you kind of have this choice to like shut out the world and and to live in fear. Like it's, it's scary to really realize the impermanence of everything, of every relationship, of every life. That's a scary thing to face. But you also have the choice of you can live in fear of that or you can really embrace the present moment. And when I look back on pictures and videos, it's like, I'm so grateful my favorite videos are the ones where we're all just sitting around the living room as a family and being silly, you know, family dance parties. The moments when we were really present with each other, we weren't on our phones or on computers. We were just being with each other. And so if you lose someone who means that much to you, you'll realize how much everyone you still have means to you and just be in those relationships because they're so important and tomorrow is not promised. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. I just, I chose to live and to love rather than to live in fear. I also think that grief is really misunderstood in our culture and grief. I've heard there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but it's grief is love with nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. I really believe that grief and love are very intertwined. They're you know two sides of the same coin and you can't have one without the other. So gotta live in love. (laughs) I was just going to bring that up because when I think of you, that quote always pops up in my head because you've said it a couple of times, how they're the flip side of the same coin, grief and... Yes. Or do you say loss and love or grief and love? I say grief and love, but it can also be loss. I mean, and also like grief isn't just limited to losing someone to death either. I think we grieve other things in life too. So I think of grief in a very broad sense, but yeah, they're interchangeable. So speaking of misconceptions about a lot of big things, what is a big misconception about astrology? Okay, so the biggest misconception about astrology is that like people have this idea that astrology is just your sun sign. They don't really know that there's more depth to it, or if they've heard about more, they've just they know the stereotypes like, oh, every Leo is like showy and, you know, I knew you were going to use Leo. <laughs> Leo is such a like, it's my moon sign, first of all, so I relate to it a lot. And my dear grandmother, she's also a Leo, so my Leo matriarch. But there's these signs, every sign has like stereotypes. And of course, you know, people born within a month of each other, they're not all going to be the exact same people. So just not knowing that there's more to it than that, that like we are not just one sign, we are a combination of many signs, all the signs. And then the other big misconception, I think, is that people, when they're reading their horoscope, they read for their sun sign. Often this is because people only know their sun sign. But if you actually look up your chart, 
if you know your birth time and you can find out your rising sign, it's more accurate to read for your rising sign. Not because you are more like your rising sign, but because of the way that horoscopes are written. So the rising signs on the horizon, it's like what was rising the moment you were born. And that denotes the first house. And the way that horoscopes are written are all in relation to the houses, if that makes any sense. So basically, you're going to get a more accurate reading when you read for your rising. So your rising sign is a lot more important than I think people even realize. And I just want to put this in earlier rather than later. If you want like an in-depth astrology reading with all of like houses, what they mean, stars, planets, all of the above, Bliss did an extraordinary life-changing reading for me at our last retreat. And it was so insightful. It just makes me think about everything differently, even though I'm not one of those people that I don't even read my horoscope, to be honest with you. But when I do check in or when I am feeling lost or when I am craving a little bit of guidance and then I look up the moon or where the planets are or what it means in relation to my chart, everything you've taught me, like I feel like it's so foundational that it's not like therapy where I have to see you every single week. It's like you pack in so much into one astrology reading that it gave me just this solid sense that now I have a place to start instead of feeling overwhelmed and also writing it off as like, uh, I don't even know what this all means, you know? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that it was so insightful for you and that you were able to like get value that you could keep using. My goal in giving people astrology readings isn't just giving them my insight, but it's also showing them like a toolbox, like this is how you can use your chart to move forward in your life. Exactly. So where can people sign up for that, by the way? And we will link this in the show notes, but just for those who like are like, I need to look up my chart now and I need to book in with Bliss. Yes. So um, find me on Instagram. I'm at Bliss Moon. And there's a link. The link in my profile is the link to my scheduling for readings. I do 40-minute readings. I can do up to an hour. I often will talk longer than 40 minutes if people have time to, but my like base rate is 40-minute reading. And yeah, I really would just love to dig in with any of your followers and anybody who's interested in knowing more about their chart than their sun or even their sun, moon, rising. I think a lot of people know their big three, but they don't have a grasp about like where they are in their, you know, what houses they're in or like what that means to them. So if anyone wants to dig in, just find me on Instagram. I'll give you the link also to put in your show notes. Perfect. So I'm so sorry I interrupted you speaking about the big three and your suggestion of when you're looking at your horoscope, maybe check in on your rising sign and see what that says. And from what you taught me, the rising is a lot about how you present to the world. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So one way I like to think of it, when the sun is rising in the day, it's like the first light, you know? So when you're born, when you're crowning, first of all, I love thinking, I'm, I'm a big <laughs> birth geek. <laughs> and I love thinking about like a baby crowning. The moment the baby's born, like there's this imprint from the whole universe that's placed on their head. It's like our crown of stars. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the first light is that whatever is rising on the horizon. And so that is like the first impression made on you. And it's also the first impressions you make when you meet people. Another way I like to talk about the rising sign is it's kind of like your brand. It's like your own unique style and way of being. Your sun sign is yourself, your ego, this very conscious self, and it's very important. But your rising sign is like how you present, how you interact. So it's also really, really important. <laughs> As an example, to better illustrate this, not because I'm vain, although I am selfish and do want you to <laughs> go through this for me again, but 
because I'm assuming a lot of people listen to the podcast and kind of get a sense for who I am as a person. Can you give examples? My son is Aquarius, my moon is Cancer, and my rising is Virgo. Can you kind of like describe like what that means about Mary? (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, I printed up your chart before sitting down just in case we wanted to use you as an example for anything. I will volunteer as tribute. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) I love that. So your sun is Aquarius. You also have a stellium in Aquarius, which means you have three or more planets or placements in. When you have three or more in a sign, it's like you're a super Aquarius. Like you're you're very, very Aquarian. So not just your sun, but also how you communicate is there, as well as like how you dream and how you rebel. So there's a lot of stuff happening in Aquarius for you besides your sun. And then your moon is in Cancer. And that is a water sign. Oh yeah, I should have said Aquarius is an air sign. I think that if people don't know astrology, a lot of people hear aqua and they assume water, but it's the water bearer. So I like to think of like a cloud carrying the water or like a vessel for water, Mm. but it's actually an air sign. Mm -hmm. And your moon is in a water sign, Cancer, which is just this very nurturing, emotive, sensitive sign. I like to think of cancers as the mama of the zodiac because they are so loving and nurturing, especially in their friendships. And your moon is in your 11th house, which has everything to do with friendships, community building. So it means you're a very like loving, nurturing friend. And your emotional side is very much like rooted in, in water, which is so beautiful because the moon is also, I mean, when you think about the moon and the way that the moon controls the tides, the moon is a very watery thing to begin with. So mm-hmm. I love that. And then your rising is in Virgo. And Virgo is the earth sign who really favors like systems that make things more efficient. People think of Virgos as being like really organized. They make good bosses. So it basically means that like right off the cusp, you're very much like boss energy. You seem very like together, very organized. You probably like look like you put thought and attention into your outfits. Not that you're vain, but that you like want to look professional. That's very much a a Virgo thing. You probably like dress for the job you want. Like (laughs) that's a, that's like a Virgo mantra. And I didn't talk too much about Aquarius, but we can dig more into that if you want. (laughs) There's a lot happening with Aquarius right now too. Happy Aquarius season and happy freaking birthday, by the way. Oh my goodness. Thank (laughs) you so much. I actually just looked up what stellium means because you told me about it and then I needed a refresher before this interview. And it sent me on like this path of looking up that there's a lot happening in Aquarius right now, not just because we're in Aquarius season, but because there's a few different things going on. And I do want to get into that, given that the timing of this episode will be early February when we release this. So everybody gets to celebrate Aquarius season, not just Mary, although you can totally do that too. Of course. (laughs) We should all celebrate Aquarius season and we should celebrate Mary. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm flattered. But just as a recap, Your rising sign, that Virgo that you described in me, is essentially how you show up to others, like how people may perceive you, right? And then your moon is kind of like that emotional, like like what's beneath the surface and how you handle your emotions. Exactly. Yes. It's your your body and also like your emotional body. And a lot of themes like vulnerability, intuition, nurturing, those kinds of themes. Okay. The moon's all about that. So (laughs) it's how you nurture and you know, how you lean into vulnerability. Mm. And the the sun, which is what most people are familiar with when it comes to themselves, what is that? I mean, it's simply your identity. It's yourself. It also can be interpreted as your ego. So it's it's not a complete picture of yourself, but it's very much like, okay, so both the sun and the moon are considered luminaries because they 
shine light on things. Mm -hmm. And your sun sign is really how you shine in this world. It's like what you shine at. And a lot of people associate it with like your conscious self, like who you're consciously aware of. Whereas your moon sign is more this unconscious undercurrent, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. That totally, totally makes sense. Because I'm definitely like consciously aware of being an Aquarius and I feel very connected to that. And I honestly was surprised when you said my moon was in cancer and what that meant. I mean, I was surprised at first and then not surprised if that makes any sense. The feminine urge to end everything (laughs) with, does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, Mm. So, okay, let's dive into what this season is about, this Aquarius season and what's going on with, I think I read that there's like three planets in Aquarius or something right now. What is happening? There's lots happening in Aquarius right now. So first of all, like not just now in Aquarius season, but all year long and a little bit of last year too, Saturn is in Aquarius. So for people who have Saturn in Aquarius in their natal chart, they're in their Saturn return right now. But regardless of whether or not someone is in their Saturn return, Saturn is all about structures and discipline and like how we kind of rule our life, if that makes any sense. Saturn rules time. It's very structural. A lot of like discipline kinds of themes fall under Saturn. And in Aquarius, you have this energy of rethinking things. Aquarius is all about, you know, trying things in new ways. It's an innovator sign. I like to say that Aquarians invented thinking outside the box. Like they're not going to think in the box. (laughs) They're going to think of new ways of doing things. And another really neat thing that's, I think, unique to Aquarius is Aquarius is very concerned with the collective. Most air signs... I think, get kind of pinned off as being distant and can be emotionally distant. But Aquarian is very much an individual who knows their individuality and knows their unique contribution, but wants to contribute in a way that serves the collective, that serves the community. They're always thinking bigger picture. That's what Aquarian energy is all about. So it's this idea of like restructuring our life in new ways that are going to better serve us. So everybody can lean into that, whether or not they're in their Saturn return, like lean into, you know, reinventing your structures, your routines. Also look at where Aquarius is in your chart. If you are able to look up your chart, each of the houses has meaning. And we're going to use an example because I'm looking at your chart right now. So your Aquarius is the sixth house, which is the house of like health and also the house of routines. It doesn't surprise me at all. When I think about your contribution to the world and so much of what you've done already (laughs) in life. Like it's all about like questioning our habits around health and rethinking this like body image stuff. Like all of that has to do with the sixth house and you have a lot going on there. I mean, you've got your communication is also there. Your mercury is in the sixth house in Aquarius. So looking at the house will also tell you what this Saturn passing through Aquarius means for you personally. That makes any sense. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that make, that makes perfect sense. Okay. The feminine urge to say, does that make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where I picked that up, but it's so true. I'm like, Ugh. It is so true. But, you know, there's also something to be said about the way most women have been conditioned to communicate in this world, how it's yes. not necessarily bad. It's just been looked at as bad because it's not like how most men talk. So right. sometimes I'm like, Mary, stop saying that. But then other times I'm like, no, like I, I like the way I talk, how I like check in with the person to see what they're feeling and, and see if that's what I'm saying is resonating with them. Because the last thing I want is to not do that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree. And 
it's valuable to be able to communicate like a man. I'm putting little air quotes. You can't see them, but in like a lot of professional settings, however, like the intuitive, sensitive way of communicating like a woman isn't a bad thing either. We all have masculine and feminine qualities and there are times to lean into each of them. Exactly. You're so just connected to everything. You're connected to everything and, and me. And I appreciate this so much. Again, I'm just like pushing people to book a session with you or at least do some kind of like intricate deep dive into astrology because there's so many layers to it and a lot of things happening all at once. I mean, it's literally the planets and the stars. But I do want to touch on because you mentioned that there are people in their Saturn return and given just the age of most of my listeners, a lot of people are around that like mid late 20s kind of vibe. So there's this mix of a quarter life crisis. And then there's the Saturn return, which is at 27. And one of our sweet retreat sisters was really feeling that in a big way during the retreat. She literally broke her leg, which is a huge breakthrough. And she's in the midst of her Saturn return, which we found incredibly interesting. So what does that mean? Should we be afraid of it? Because I came to you and I was like, very stressed about right <laughs> what yes. would and I think it's one of those things that people hear and they immediately if they know anything about it they immediately tense up because it is like a structural upheaval in someone's life and that can be scary big structural changes in your life are scary <laughs> but often necessary so I like to tell people never to fear anything in astrology people fear also mercury retrograde we just got through a mercury retrograde we survived it all of these things exist because we need them. You know, we need Mercury retrograde because there are times we need to slow down our communication and we need to check in with ourselves. Like we can't be in hustle culture all the time. And like Mercury retrograde tells us not to hustle. So like slow down your hustle and like think before you speak. Valid, important, not scary, important. So when we talk about the Saturn return, it's between 27 and 29 And it varies because Saturn orbits the sun really slowly. So you're only going to get that return every approximately every 27, 29 years. So you'll get it again when you're close to 60, I guess. Um, So you'll get another Saturn return later in life. And like I said, Saturn is all about structure, discipline, boundaries. It's a time to redraw your boundaries. It's a time that you might quit your job. Or in my case, my Saturn return was starting a family. I got pregnant during my Saturn return. And I also like was in a relationship that was not healthy for me and probably not not the kind of relationship that I needed to be making a family in. <laughs> and so it was very much a, a time for a structural change around relationship. And it's very different for everybody. And I think it's valuable to see where Saturn is in your chart. <laughs> Again, like the houses matter so much more than people realize. And so seeing where Saturn is in your chart will kind of denote what house or what themes Saturn will will be taking place in. And I'm trying to find where your Saturn is because we've talked about your Saturn return. I have notes from our from our session. Saturn in Aries. Yes. You told me that I was about marriage and merging. And of course I gasped and I was like, am I going to get divorced? Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think so at all. So I didn't talk to you about this then, but there is more than one house system and there's no correct one. One is not more right than the other. They're just from different time periods. So the oldest system for houses is called the whole sign houses. And I recently switched back to that. I was looking at Placidus. The Placidus system is kind of the default that a lot of websites use. That was invented in like the Renaissance. 
the issue with the Placidus system, it works great for a lot of people. However, I was born really close to like, like very high latitude, like very Northern. So if you're born in a very Northern region, like near the Arctic circle or near the Southern version of that, I don't know what it's even called, the Southern circle. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) if you're born near those, it doesn't really work well. It's like the houses are divided almost like slices of a pie and you get like really, really large slices of pie and then some slices almost disappear altogether. So I don't really like that system anymore because it doesn't serve me when I'm helping people from northern climates, but it's pretty close to spot on for people who are born closer to the equator Um, and you were born in a warmer climate, but actually your Saturn is in your eighth house. Yeah. And it does have to do with merging. So eighth house is merging. People do associate the eighth house with death, but I like to think of Okay, so when you think of an eight, it's like an infinity symbol, right? So it's the circulating energy. It's this like death and rebirth. It's like coming together and apart. So it's very much this like, I don't know, like the snake eating its tail, (laughs) for lack of better description. Yeah. Yeah, so it could have to do with like marriage, but it could also do with like business partnerships. And then Aries is this like fiery independent sign. So, you know, maybe it's going to like have you look at your independence a little bit and like challenge how you're so independent in your world. Maybe you'll find a business partner during your late twenties. Like it could be anything. I don't think it will be divorce. <laughs> like nothing obviously points to that, <laughs> but I do think people get this, like this fear in their head that like the, the Saturn is going to be like the breaking of everything they've built. And it's not, it's just the breaking of, or the turning on its head of things that no longer serve you, structures that no longer serve you. And so just like a forest fire, a natural forest fire is a lot of destruction. It also is like regenerating the soil and like creating a right place for the forest to regrow. So Saturn return can be big, big, scary forest fire, but it also can be a place of like rebirth. And that's especially true for you in the eighth house. So yeah, it's a good thing, not a scary thing. I like the forest fire metaphor because we forget that that fire is also necessary as heartbreaking as it is to our human minds to wrap around. Like nature does have this way of, of doing that death and rebirth and destructuring and restructuring cycle. I also heard that a Saturn return is kind of like a propeller in that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but somebody told me that it's one of those things that it'll either like very starkly redirect you into a different trajectory that you're ultimately meant to be in. Or if you're living in like full deep alignment with who you are and what you're supposed to be pursuing and what was meant to you, if you're already living in that, then it'll only propel you and, and kind of serve as this like leap slash shove slash push into like, here you go, (laughs) you know? Yes, that is very true. And it's very much because it is something that rules structures. Like if the structures in your life are serving you, those structures are going to remain and you're going to like deepen your commitment to them. You know, like your level of like commitment and responsibility towards whatever it is, whatever practice, whatever you're doing there in your life, that will just deepen. But anything that, that is structurally holding you back is going to fall away in some way or another. And it can be really dramatic or it can be really subtle. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. I think that that's definitely accurate. But I think most people in their 20s are still finding their way. (laughs) So I feel like there's always room for something to be restructured. And Saturn begs us to really like 
change the way we're operating in this world. But if the way you're operating in this world is already how you're meant to, already aligned, then yes, it can totally propel you further and deeper into that and deeper into your commitment. Saturn rules commitment. So you'll be more committed to the things that you're really meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I also want to refer back to what you said towards the beginning, like nothing in astrology is scary and we can ditch that belief. Yes. Yeah. It's all just natural cycles. Just like the seasons are natural cycles. We're all going through it all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. Mm. Yeah. So let's go into the last piece I want to touch on, the last house. Where should people look if they're curious about their love life, whether that's romantic or maybe greater insight into self-love and the way we can express that affection towards ourselves? Yes. So I love this question. (laughs) The first place I would recommend looking is where your Venus placement is. Venus rules love and connection. It's it's how we connect. So it's not just how we connect to other people. It's also how we connect to ourselves. It is really only one side of the, the coin that is love. I think that Venus and Mars are very related, but like Venus is how you connect and Mars is like how you take action. Both are totally important. Your Venus placement, and also you should look in the fifth house, especially when it comes to self-love, I feel. Fifth house rules romance, but it also rules a lot of creativity and play and that inner child stuff. And we all need to nurture our inner child more. So seeing where your fifth house falls in your chart is going to give you some clues as to like how to lean into loving your your inner child, your inner you. And actually your Venus placement is in the fifth house. So it's just really like juicy, yummy stuff there. (laughs) And it is in Capricorn, which is an earth sign that again, rules like responsibility and routines and structures. So like you like a lot of in love life as well as like loving yourself. You like to feel like a sense of stability. That's really important to you to have like stable. We talked about this during your reading that like you really want to have stable romantic relationships. That's really important to you. And you also want to feel like you have a safe place to like play and explore and be creative. So there's a lot of like comfort and safety there. But looking at not just the the fifth house, but where your Venus is in your chart will show you a lot to do with like the love languages that express too. Like I have a Venus in Aquarius. So like my love languages are very like freedom oriented and like social, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So it's so serendipitous that you bring up stability for me because that is my journal prompt for this week and therapy. Oh, wow. (laughs) What does stability mean to me? And Mm -hmm. it's actually currently open in the same browser that we're recording this in. So I'm like literally staring at that prompt right now. So super, I mean, I would say strange, but it's very expected when it comes to talking to bliss. Um, (laughs) And also I very much see that with you because one thing that you mentioned with retreats, especially this last retreat that we did together is you're engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And you mentioned that your fiance and you have like this healthy relationship dynamic, which I wish for everyone, but it's very present for you to feel like you use the word when you described what it means for yours to be an Aquarius. What was the word used? Oh, I'm not sure. But I, like, I, I definitely feel like I need some sort of like romantic freedom. Yes, freedom. <laughs> like, That's the word. Personal freedom. Like it's very, it's very freedom oriented. I think that Aquarians stand up for a lot of freedom. <laughs> yes, freedom. That is the word. I don't know how it slipped my mind. 
And we both value, both me and Satya, my future wife, who's amazing. She's in her Saturn return right now, by the way. (laughs) So that's fun. So you're a part of it. (laughs) I am a part of it. I'm definitely a part of it. Yeah. And hers falls into that merging house as well. So it's very interesting. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm getting distracted thinking about my amazing, my amazing lady. (laughs) (laughs) The travel, like she totally understands my need to travel solo. And like, she also does that. And even before I really started digging into my own self-love journey as her friend, because we've been friends now for about four years and we started dating in May, even just as a friend, I saw her, she went through a divorce in her mid twenties and then took a lot of years to just date herself and really love on herself and, you know, like cook herself romantic candlelight dinners at home. And she's always been this shining example of like self-love and loving yourself first. So she gets it. She holds space for that for me. And she also holds a lot of space for my grief. So anyway, she's an incredible woman. She's a got a stellium in Virgo. So <laughs> shout out to Satya. Virgo love queen. You so much. I love you, Satya. <laughs> I can't wait to meet her. Yes. You mentioned in your romantic relationships, your Venus being in Aquarius. Or wait, is it Aquarius and Venus or Venus and Aquarius? It's Venus and Aquarius. Venus and Aquarius. You said freedom and social. So that's what I felt was like, oh, that's totally you because coming to a retreat, it's like that freedom and that time apart and like that sense of independence and also the social aspect of like being with a group of women and retreat sisters. And yes. And Aquarius, again, it's it's the individual who values the collective. So it's like very much like I need my independence, but I also like really want to support and lean on communities. And that's so important to how I love and how I connect. So I need someone who sees that and respects it. (laughs) Yeah. And we've come, I feel like, full circle into what it means in this this Aquarius season that we're in right now, not just for Aquarians like myself, but also for just where we're at at this point in time. I just feel like there's this, this golden thread of valuing your independence and knowing what you're worth and prioritizing the collective and that connection and community that we all so deeply crave, especially like now more than ever. Yes. And it's knowing that you have a unique contribution to that community too, that like every person has a unique way of giving to the collective. So it's not just valuing my uniqueness or like you as an Aquarius, it's not just valuing your uniqueness, it's valuing the uniqueness of everyone, which is phenomenal. Like Yay, diversity. (laughs) If that's not self-love and love in general, I don't know what is. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. I love that. Bliss, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I did or any final closing thoughts that you want to leave our self-lovers with? I do want to let them know where to look up their chart if they're really wanting to like see it for themselves. Of course, I would be happy to do a reading for anyone and everyone. Oh, and I have a discount code for your listeners as well for their first session with me. But before that, if you want to just be able to pull up your chart, you need to know your precise birth time. So call your mom or find your birth certificate, however you have access to birth time. That's really important. You can find out most of what's going on without your birth time, but you'll never really be able to know your rising sign unless you know your birth time, because that changes so frequently throughout the day. So even just a few minutes could make a difference. But get that birth time and then go to astro-seek.com. And you can choose what house system to use when you're plugging in all your birth info there, but you need your birth time, place, date, plug it all in, and then choose the whole sign or the whole house system, because that's going to give you the most accurate, what I believe is the most accurate depiction of the houses in relation to the whole signs. Awesome. I'll put that link and note to choose the whole house system in the show notes. 
And if somebody wants to book a session with you, that link is in the show notes. And you said you're offering a discount so generously. Yes. I'm offering a 33% discount because I love angel numbers and 22 didn't feel like enough. <laughs> I'm like, I, and three is a magic number. So 33% discount. <laughs> and the discount code is just the gift of self-love because I just wanted to give your book a little plug too. I love your book. It's given me so much and give back to you and your, your listeners. Thank you so, so much, Bliss. I am so forever eternally grateful. I also still cannot wait to text you on April 12th because we didn't mention it in this conversation, but I am holding that date near and dear to my heart because there's some things going on in my chart. So if you want to know that for yourself and what big dates are in store for you in your life this year and to come book a session with Bliss and you will definitely not regret it. It'll just give you so much insight into yourself. Oh, thank you, Mary. It means the world to me. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a short review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show so, so much. I absolutely love hearing from you. And as somebody whose love language is words of affirmation, your words mean the world to me. Just go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll all the way down until you see the review section. And from there, you can just tap the star thing and leave your own review. Thank you so much for supporting me and this greater message of self-love for all. Also, feel free to send this episode to a friend and spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just head to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to give yourself the gift of self-love. I love you all so, so much, and I will talk to you next time. Mwah. <laughs>